Hey there, product lovers. Welcome to the Product Love Podcast, hosted by Eric Bodick, co-founder and chief evangelist of Pendo and super fan of all things product. Product Love is the place for real insights into the world of crafting products as Eric interviews founders, product leaders, venture capitalists, authors, and more. So let's dive in now with today's Product Love podcast. Welcome, lovers of product. Today, we are here with Lawrence Wong, VP of Product Management at Cisco Meraki. Lawrence, why don't you kick this off by giving us a little overview of your background? Sure. Hey, um, thanks a lot, Eric, for having me. And uh, hello to all the listeners out there. My name's Lawrence. I look after the Cisco Meraki product management team today. You know, I, I got my start early on, actually, as an engineer. My first real job was designing RFIC circuits uh, as an electrical engineer. And that was really at uh, you know, a startup that my grad school advisor started at the time. Over the years, I've uh, you know, taken on a number of roles from electrical engineer focused on RFIC design to product applications engineering, ultimately into product management. But you know, I've been in tech for a long time now. It's been a fun journey so far. Awesome. Well, t- well, talk to me about how you got into product management. Take me through that story. <laughs> yeah, I-, I would say it-, it started with a lot of luck. Um, you know, I-, I think that what is true about product management is you, you don't go to school for product management. You know, that's not a, a thing, though. These days, there clearly are a lot more options for educational opportunities focused on it. But, you know, I've always loved technology ever since I was a kid. And that's what led me into engineering. You know, I really enjoyed my time as an engineer building products that, you know, ultimately we get to ship and uh, land in the hands of customers that they get to use as part of their everyday lives and hopefully to make their lives a little bit better. But you know, one of the things I, I realized over time after a few years of doing this is I really wanted to have a more expansive view of what it takes to get products uh, you know, from concept to shipment into customers actually uh, deploying it. And some of the friends I had at the time who I trusted, they went on this career journey where they left engineering and went back to business school. And some of them became management consultants. Uh, some of them, for reasons I don't understand, went to investment banking and Others went into product management. I had no notion what product management really was. So when I started talking to them, it sounded intriguing because it was really that you know, blend of technology and business. And so I decided to you know, take that path as well. I decided to exit uh, you know, engineering. I did go back to school. And I will tell you, I, I ended up uh, picking incredible timing, right? I, I graduated in 2009 in the depths of the Great Recession. And for those of you who did not experience that. Uh, there's a reason why they call it the Great Recession. I was very fortunate uh, at the time. I was you know, networking up, down, left, right, and sideways, taking on every single internship uh, opportunity, both paid and unpaid, that I could. And it just so happened that there was a team at Cisco that was building a new product group focused on tackling how do we modernize the electrical grid and focus on smart grid. And they ended up uh, offering me an opportunity to be a product manager on the team. Uh, I did that for a couple of years, and I ultimately left Cisco, and I ended up uh, finding this little startup called Meraki, and it's been a it's been a fun ride since. So, Lawrence, talk to me about Cisco Meraki now. What teams you oversee? The problems you're solving? Yeah, so I'm responsible for the product management team, and this is inclusive of you know your traditional product managers, but also. We have this uh, part of my organization called product enablement, which is really how do we actually develop 
uh, and create scalable content and you know trainings to really scale through Cisco and our uh, you know partner community. So it's a little bit different than your traditional product management org. When I think about you know the mission of Meraki, it's really to you know simplify the digital workplace so our customers can focus on their missions. And at the heart of it, the, the way I would really describe it is how do you actually simplify powerful technology in an industry that's used to complexity to deliver you know exceptional outcomes for your customers? And that's really you know at the heart of what we do here at Meraki. Now tell me about the teams, how that's grown since you've been acquired by Cisco. Yeah, when I uh, when I joined Meraki, it was about a hundred people in the company. Meraki is now, I think, close to two thousand people. We've scaled out across all functions, including product management. You know, I think every year there's always a reevaluation of what it means to grow and scale our teams. Like, how do we think about what's uh, you know coming? And this has been one of the fun parts of the job, which is you know continuing to you know not just product manage products, but also really product manage an organization. So what was it like being acquired? Like going from Meraki and then being acquired by Cisco, you know, tell me about that. Talk me through that process and how that affected, you know, your role as a product leader. Yeah. Well, you know, the honest truth is, you know, when I left Cisco the first time, I did so not because, you know, I I didn't think it was a great company or, you know, that I didn't like the people I was working with, but I was ready for a new challenge. Um, I wanted to be as part of a business that was really tackling a, a set of problems that would have great impact. And when I joined Meraki uh, and I saw the product demo for the first time, even though I wasn't focused on you know, the networking world, to me, it was very clear that this is the future of networking. And I was really excited to be part of that. So I joined Meraki at the beginning of 2012 pre-acquisition. And at the end of 2012, uh, you know, Cisco acquired Meraki. And you know, I, I would say that my first reaction was definitely one of trepidation. And I think a big part of that was, you know, I really loved the team, the culture, the things that we built here. And I really wanted to make sure that, you know, we, we were able to preserve some elements of that. As I'm sure you and your listeners know, most acquisitions, they're not always successful uh, being integrated or they're integrated in such a way that it's a very different organization at the end. And I think one of the things the Meraki founders did very exceptionally well is this idea of how do you actually put up a for lack of a better word, firewall, to maintain the organization, keep it intact, giving it the space to continue to you know, grow organically, but of course, uh, you know, benefiting from the scale and reach and the investment of Cisco. And that's something that you know, we've been able to execute on. And in fact, I would say Meraki has been one of Cisco's most successful acquisitions. And we become a model of sorts for how, do you, how does Cisco think about integrating acquisitions, like when do you actually, you know, keep that team intact and let them grow, grow and scale organically versus, uh, you know, trying to uh, more planned integration, if you will. Yeah. Now you, you talked too about some of the cultural components of Meraki that you wanted to make sure survived the acquisition, I guess is a good word. Talk to me about those. What were those? Yeah. I think a lot of it is, you know, the way we develop products, you know, that was, you know, first front and center, like what I care deeply about. We, we have this concept at Meraki that we internally call the closed loop. And a big part of what it means to be a, uh, this closed loop is, you know, you're basically developing products in such a way that every part of the organization, every single department is influential in how you think about, uh, you know, developing it and taking it to market. And so a good example of this is, you know, when our support team 
is starting to see issues that crop up in you know, new firmware releases that we ship out to uh, our customers. Like they don't have to wait to get that feedback back to us. Like they're sitting in the same building, they're part of the extended team. And so we get that immediate feedback so we can start making conscious decisions. Is this important enough to you know, put aside the projects and work that we're doing to go tackle this immediately? When I think about our sales team, you know, making sure that they have a clear understanding of you know, how our roadmap is evolving, you know, how our value proposition continues to change, you know, being able to communicate that efficiently and effectively, like that's all part of our closed loop and a big part of the culture that we developed here that quite frankly, I think has you know, made us as successful as we've been so far. Now, you know, after acquisition, you talked about that firewall. Is part of the reason that the Meraki acquisition has been successful, not only that firewall, but the assurance that you've been able to continue those core you know, product, cultural, or values that you've had? Has that had a big impact on the success of Meraki post-acquisition? I would say that, you know, some of the things I attribute to that success post-acquisition, initially, yes, it was the firewall. But I think a big part of what it means to be part of the uh, Meraki within Cisco is this, you know, idea of, you know, what are the core values of Meraki and Merakians in general? And values are something that I believe are consistent throughout time. And I've worked at enough companies and organizations where, you know, values are printed at the back of your badge. It's, uh, you know, sent in an email. And that's pretty much the extent of what it means to lean into the values. And in some ways, it's, you know, something that's printed with actually very little value. And at Meraki, we talk about values and live our values in a way that I've never experienced before in an organization. So it's everything from this idea of, you know, caring deeply for one another, always trying to simplify everything, always being brave. Uh, you know, these are some of the elements of our core values that every Meraki embraces. But then when you go beyond values, then it goes into what is the mission for the team? Being very clear with the product team, you know, what our mission is, how we're going to deliver on this. These are things that you know you have to be crystal clear on. The team knows like where your true north is. And ultimately, culture is something that I believe should evolve and continue to evolve with every single new person that we add. And collectively, like we steer the ship in terms of the culture, but you know, the foundation is the values and then making sure that there's clarity in terms of our North Star. So now Cisco, Meraki, well, Cisco a couple of times. Talk to me about the difference you know, being a product manager at a startup and at a large enterprise. And do you have a preference? Yeah, I mean, I, I think a lot of the fundamentals are absolutely the same, right? You have to, you know, know your product, you have to, you know, know your customers, you have to understand your routes to market, uh, you really have to understand your business. And I think the, you know, the biggest difference for me, you know, being part of a startup outside of your typical startup chaos is, you know, this idea of, you know, scale and reach as well as you know, the increasing complexity of stakeholder management. This would have been true if Meraki remained independent versus uh, you know, being part of Cisco, especially as you grow in scale. Now, I like to think of it in the following way, which is, would you rather build products that are amazing that no one actually gets to use? Or would you like to build uh, those products that you know, have incredible impact and reach? And I think one of the benefits that you know, has been so clear to me is the reach and scale uh, being part of a company like Cisco is phenomenal. Like when we actually provide new software updates, 
you know, literally hundreds of thousands of our customers get to experience that benefit overnight. When we think about how do we actually release new products or services, like there is a very loud marketing engine behind this with a very strong partner community that can augment and amplify that message. And that is incredibly powerful. So it's not about is one you know better than the other. It's really about you know what you are optimizing for within your own career and you know what's important to you. So were there different times in your career where you appreciated different sized organizations? Yeah, I mean, absolutely, right? Like, you know, as I mentioned, I started working my first job at, you know, a startup and you know, I've worked at mid-sized companies to very large Fortune 100, 500 companies. And I, I think all of them, you know, they definitely have their ups and downs. I think this is aligned with the way I think about my own career evolution. You know, every few years, like you should ask yourself the question, is this what I want to continue doing? Because, you know, I tend to think of my career as sequences of investment of my time. You know, every few years, I should look around, reevaluate whether I should spend the next few years continuing doing what I'm doing and ultimately do the pluses outweigh the cons. And that's how I've steered the shift, if you will, for how I think about my own career evolution. Yeah. And that's a good segue, too, because I want to talk to you about you know, your career, right? And your advice for people climbing the product management ladder, so to speak. I mean, you were the first product manager at Meraki Switch. Now you lead a team. What advice do you have to the PMs out there about scaling their career in product and, and advancing you know, throughout a, a product organization as a company you know, grows? I guess like the the straightforward answer for me is for most of my career, you know, I never taken the approach that I'm going to you know, reach for this title or this role per se outside of major you know shifts like from being an engineer to product manager. I've always focused on being good at what I do and you know ultimately being able to deliver value to the organization. And that's allowed me to find the opportunities to you know take on more responsibilities whether it's you know, owning more of a product portfolio to leading a small team to ultimately an organization. But I, I think that that's a little bit unfair in that it discounts what actually happens behind the scenes, right? The reality is that I've had a lot of great leaders along the way. I've had a lot of people in my corner who are willing to advocate on my behalf. And you know, knowing what I do now, I would say that, especially as someone who isn't the, um, I guess, the majority representation in Silicon Valley in executive roles. You know, my, I, as I reflect on my earlier self, not asking for promotions and uh, the like, I, I think I would actually take a very different approach now, you know, actively seeking out sponsors, mentors, being a mentor to others, right? You don't have to be in a role of a manager to be a leader. That's something that, you know, it took me a little while for me to learn. But I think it's incredibly valuable to recognize that early on to you know, develop those skills. So Yeah, I think that's a really good point that you mentioned that you don't have to be a manager to be a leader. Like you can, you can mentor people, you can help, you can go out of your way to help make the company successful, even if it doesn't directly you know, impact your particular job function. And in, I, I think in, in great companies, people see that. And they see that as you know, the people that they want to promote and they want to turn into leaders too. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that goes back to, you know, what do you optimize for? And a big part of, you know, why I've stayed around is also that cultural element. You know, this culture that we built is very collaborative. It does want to see people, you know, grow and develop and succeed in their career. I always tell people on my team that, you know, I want the relationship that we have 
to be radically candid, right? In the vein of, uh, you know, radical candor. But as part of that, that also means they should also expect that I'm in their corner. And what that means is if they think the next step for them is, you know, a role that we have available, that's great. But if it's a role outside, you know, Meraki within greater Cisco or even outside the company, like we want to support that. And that's something that's been, I think, one of the elements that has allowed Moroccans as a whole to continue to grow and develop and, uh, you know, evolve their career. Like we really want this to be, you know, the best moment in your career, the best place that you've ever worked at, even, you know, the, the day that you choose to leave. Yeah. So let's dig more into that. Let's let's talk about building out product teams. How do you build those high-performing product teams? How do you get those people that you were just describing in the organization? What's the structure look like? What are the relationships between designers and PMs and engineers? You know, talk to me about building out those teams. Yeah. You know, one of the things that we talk about a lot at Meraki as we grow and scale is this idea of, you know, Conway's law, which is really the Products that you build is, uh, you know, can be a reflection of the organization structure. And one of the things that has made you know, our customers love our products is, you know, that it feels like it works seamlessly together, that it is a cohesive experience. And that's very hard to accomplish because if you look at the networking industry, you know, switching wireless, you know, SD-WAN, these are all massive areas in and of themselves. And there are whole companies built around just one product category. So how do you actually build out you know, a product portfolio that feels more cohesive? And that also comes down to how your teams are organized. And I also believe that a big part of you know, how we do this is that you know, we have teams with a high degree of autonomy that have a lot of independence, but there's also very tight coupling and alignment at the leadership level so that you know, goals for the organization can be propagated down, but still giving teams a lot of flexibility to go execute. I think that's been one of the ways that, uh, you know, we've really thought about how we continue to organize here. Now, practically speaking, what does this mean? We still have product teams that are focused on a given product area. We have product teams that are focused on our cloud infrastructure. We have product teams that are focused on compliance regimes like FedRAMP. But at the end of the day, we also have a lot of product areas like our network assurance capabilities, like, you know, the overall dashboard experience, like the API investments that we have that need better coordination across teams. So knowing when to spin up virtual teams versus actual teams. Like these are some of the things that we have to keep experimenting and being okay to iterate on over time. Yeah. What about diversity and inclusion? Yeah. So we have this concept of employee resource groups at Cisco. And, you know, this is, uh, it can be anything from those who are military veterans, uh, you know, to those uh, black professionals and, you know, one of the events I attended recently, there was a quote from this woman, Cheryl Stokes, and, you know, she said something to the fact that diversity, you know, is a fact and inclusion is an act and belonging is an outcome. And, you know, one of the things that I talk a lot about with our CEO, Denise Thomas, she likes to say that talent knows no zip code. And the reality is that we all know the benefits of diverse and inclusive teams. We all know the benefits of teams with a strong sense of psychological safety. And one of the things that I struggle with is looking around at the diversity of my industry. It's not where I believe it needs to be. So what are the things that we can do? What are the actions that we can take? And for me, it starts with things that are under my control. You know, we can have structured interview processes. We can define 
you know, for a given role, what are the skills we need? We can develop the questions to test for the skills. We can do our best to create and have diverse interview panels to try to take out as much bias out of the system as possible. We could also invest in a different way for early and career talent. You know, when I think about, you know, our internship program, we actually bring in a really good class of interns every cycle. And so one of the things that I can do here is make a conscious decision to hold headcount to convert our interns to full-time hires to increase, you know, the diversity of the team. So these are some of the actions that I can personally take that I think, you know, does contribute towards that goal of building more diverse and inclusive teams. Now, it's been 12 years now, right? Or thereabouts, you've been a product manager. Um, So the roles evolved a lot too during that time. You know, how have you seen the role evolve and how has like things like this product-led movement impacted the role? Yeah, I think the interesting thing that I see is that with product managers, it's not just sufficient to be an expert in your technology domain in uh, the market area. But there's a trend towards increasingly being able to measure and really just being a scientist, right? Coming up with a hypothesis, testing your hypothesis, and then you know iterating based on the results of the things that you do. So whether it's you know, features that you choose to develop to bring out to market, to understanding how your users actually use your products today, like finding more ways to measure and then to use that to you know help tune your product roadmap, that's becoming a lot more consistent in the product managers that we tend to hire for that we uh, see in market. Now, I want to jump back to something you mentioned. You, you made mention of FedRAMP and, and being someone who builds for the enterprise. I, I completely get the, the challenges of building for the enterprise and supporting things like FedRAMP and SOC2, et cetera. Talk to me about building for the enterprise space. What do you think is something product managers absolutely can't overlook if they're building for those types of users and any advice you have for people that have maybe worked on products geared towards smaller businesses that are now, you know, moving to a company that builds products primarily geared for the enterprise. Yeah. I I think the, you know, evolution I've seen even within Meraki is, you know, ever increasing part of our business is in the, uh, you know, enterprise space and enterprise customers tend to have very bespoke demands or requirements. So how do you actually develop a product strategy to serve both? And I'm Rocky, like we define that in such a way that, you know, we are still going to focus on simplicity at the heart of our user experience. But to support the needs of enterprise customers, we want to be able to invest in such a way that others can build on top of you know, our platform, essentially. So investing in API endpoints, building out a set of ecosystem partners to enable our customers, our partners to solve unique use cases that may be applicable to a handful of customers versus the mass market. Now, the other side to this is making sure that you understand their use cases, right? Oftentimes in networking, because it's such a large mature industry, when you talk to enterprise customers or someone who's been in for a while, they're going to tell you they need feature X because that's what they know, because that's what all the other vendors offer. Now, understanding the why behind it, so you could determine as a product manager, should we deliver on that use case? Yes or no. Should we deliver on that use case the same way that everyone else has by building feature X or can we do it differently? And those are the type of questions that you know, we consistently ask ourselves, even as we're trying to serve you know, these large enterprise customers. I think the other piece to it is you know, knowing when to invest in things that your customers never ask for. You know, our CTO and I, we often have this conversation 
because you know our sales team, our customers, they're going to ask for features and they're going to ask for you know things to solve use cases. But how do we invest in quality? How do we invest in reliability? How do we invest in scale? Because these are things that no one will ever ask for until it's too late. And so it's about really understanding you know, the metrics that are important to you. And then, you know, are you within those uh, you know, defined metrics? Because well, how, like, how do you do that? How do, how do you invest for reliability, scale, you know, performance? You know, how do you spend time removing technical debt or scaling up the architecture? How do you allocate for that? Yeah, I can say that, you know, we, we can always do better. Like, I think every organization can probably make that statement. But I think it goes back to you know defining the metrics that you care about. So for us, like this means being okay that we may not know everything, but we should have a point of view. So if the metric for quality is you know, making sure that the number of SEV ones in a given quarter or a given year is below a certain number, then are we within that bound? If not, what adjustments do we have to make to make that true? And then ultimately, just the metrics that you pick, is that actually reflective of the experience your customers have? If the SEV1 metric is incorrect, maybe it's actually you know, around page load time that makes the most difference for your customer. So it, it's not a single variable equation. It's you know, multivariable. It's complex. But being willing to, uh, as I said, like test your hypothesis and being able to adjust is important. So looking to the future, what trends do you see in product management? How do you see the role of product management continuing to change? It feels like product managers over the last, you know, five to 10 years, the role has gotten more and more important inside of technology companies. Would you agree with that? Do you, do you see that continuing? I think I have a little bit of different perspective on that. And I think it's an outcome of, you know, me growing up in product management with Emiraki. And I, I think one of the things that I see is incredibly powerful is that, you know, when you have collaborators that work well together, like you can achieve incredible things. And when I think about, you know, that classic, you know, three-legged stool of engineering design and product, like there's something to that, but it also extends beyond that into that closed loop I mentioned earlier. Like, how do you take the input of your sellers, your marketers, and really, you know, using that as part of one of many sources of input that you think of to evolve your product roadmap and strategy. And it's not that one is more important than the other, like one team, one person, but they all have something of value to contribute. And I think if you believe that it's product manager is the most important thing, then I think you're going to end up in an organization that you know, I personally would not want to work for. And I think that it just leads to poor you know, outcomes and products for customers. Yeah, no, I, I would definitely agree with that. I, I also remember the time where you know, there weren't product managers and companies building software, right? It was like 30 engineers and maybe two designers and the designers were there to uh, you know, make things pretty when the engineers were done building it, right? So <laughs> I think we've seen that change a lot in the last decade where even some of the companies you might not see, think of as traditionally as being product management oriented companies, you know, like say the Home Depots of the world have really big product management teams supporting their engineering and design staff. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, I, I think it comes down to, you know, what are the outcomes you're trying to optimize for and what are the team structures you need, whether you call someone a product manager or not, like that type of role, that type of function clearly is important for, you know, delivering products and services uh, to the market, whether you are a classic technology company or a pizza chain, 
Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you see that with, you know, pizza is a great example how technology has been a differentiator for some of the pizza chains, especially, you know, it's been compounded, obviously, by the pandemic and remote work, but it's affected stock multiples in some of those public companies. (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. So let's talk a little bit about you, Lawrence. Uh, What's your favorite product? (laughs) My favorite product is actually the uh, Peloton. I ended up buying one on a whim back in January 2020 because after you know you know having kids, I was probably in the worst shape of my life. And then the pandemic hit, and that was a godsend in terms of uh, mental and physical health. They they built an incredible you know community experience around their product, and it's something that is uh, you know continues to be engaging and I'll sing their praises up and down. Yeah, it's amazing how many people pick Peloton now as their favorite or one of their favorite products. I mean, it just goes to show, I mean, you think about it, it's like at its lowest level, it's a bike, right? But then when you use it, you understand the power of the community and just all of the little details, how well edited the classes are, you know, the the connection with the instructors, the music, everything, how it all works together is just really well done, really well thought through. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, from someone who builds and develops products for the enterprise market, I definitely appreciate the thought and care for a consumer focused product. Absolutely. So one final question for you today, three words to describe yourself. (laughs) Father, husband, realist. Thank you. This is awesome. I enjoyed it. Thanks a lot, Eric. I definitely appreciate the time. 